two passages of Scripture for today. Psalm chapter 148, which we covered last week in verses 1 through 6. Today we'll read verses 7 through 13. And then a passage from the New Testament, from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. This will be the 30th message in our series of messages on the whole counsel of God. And the subject that we'll be approaching today will be the power of God in providence or human government. The power of God in human government or providence, that means what takes place in our daily lives. Does God have anything to do with what's going on in your life and mine today? Does he have any authority, any power over it? In Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3, we read these words. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now, that's what we covered last week, the creation of God in, in the worlds. Verse 3, though who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. That is, the Son of God who not only created the world, he upholds the world. He not only set all things in their orbit, but he's the one which is keeping them in their orbits. Now let's go back to the psalmist in the 148th Psalm. And let's read verses 7 through 13. This has to do with how God governs his creation. Verses 1 through 6 of this chapter has to deal with God in his creation. And verses 7 through 13 have to do with God's governing over that creation. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and vapors, stormy wind fulfilling his, his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven." Does God govern his creation? Does he have the ability to govern his creation? A few weeks ago, we saw the wisdom of God in this subject of how God is able to control his creation through his wisdom. But it is also necessary that we see his power, because without power, no matter how wise you may be, if you do not have the ability to do that which you design, then all is in vain. And so our God is not only wise, but he has the ability and the power to govern over his creation. I, uh, there was a radio program on early this morning in which that, uh, uh, quote, preacher, unquote, said this. He said, life is like this. He said, it's like a basketball game. And Jesus has got his players, and the devil has his players. And the devil's winning more than Jesus is, and Jesus is looking for substitutes. <laughs> Would you be one of them? 
Well, I'd hate to think that life is like that. I'd hate to think that there is something going on in this life in which that the great creator has lost control of what's going on. No, there's more to life than just the fact that there's a basketball game and God's divided up, up against the forces of the devil. And there's a great warfare that's going on. I want us to look this morning to see that how this sovereign, all-powerful God is able to govern his creation. In these verses that we've just read here, we've seen God's power in the movements of the physical world. We see them in verses 6 through 10 here. Praise ye the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all the deeps, fire and hail, snow and vapors. Does God have anything to do with the rain? Does God have anything to do with the snow? Does God have anything to do that now since he has created all these things, is he still in control of them or has he backed off and has left them to some other force? We read here the stormy wind fulfilling his word. When you see the clouds come up and you see the mighty power and the wind that moves, is that something which is just to be limited to nature? No, the Bible says that wind is fulfilling the word of God. Now, remember, it was the word which was spoken and the heavens and the earth came into being. And the same word is that which speaks and all the elements in the creation still are in subjection to that word. So the rains, the snow, the vapors, the winds are all but the fulfilling of God's sovereign providence. The mountains and the hills, the fruitful trees, the cedars, plant life answers to the will of God. Beast and all cattle, creeping things and all flying fowl, all of the animal creation lives and moves and has its being in God. Someone might uh, raise the question, it comes up ever so often in dealing with the Old Testament account of the flood and the ark of Noah, particularly with young people. The question is asked, Pastor Gables, if there really was a flood, then how did all those animals know to go into the ark, and how did they get there, and how did Noah have a time getting them in the ark? Well, now listen carefully. Noah did not have to go out with a rope and tie down the cattle and the beast and everything to get them to come into the ark. The same God which gives the nature for the Canadian geese to go south for winter is the same God which controls the nature of the animals, and he has but to speak, and they make and journey their way unto the ark. The same God which sends the swallows back to Capistrano on the same day each year is the same God that had to but to speak, and all of the natures of those pairs of animals were controlled and brought into the influence of the safety of the ark. So that if we see God working in nature today, then it is no great mystery that the same God could control all of the animals and bringing them into where he would have them to be. That is, he would merely have to speak to the lions and the tigers, and but to change their natures and to bring them into the ark. The question is asked at the same time, well, how did all of these animals get along in the ark? How could all of these live together? How could the lions prevent, be prevented from eating the cattle and so forth? Now listen, 
The same God which controls the hibernation of the bears and lays them aside each winter is the same God that also controls the ravenous nature of the beast of the field that desire the flesh of others and can control that appetite and lay it aside until at such time it's pleasing unto him. So that when you see that the omnipotent, all-wise God is still working in his creation, then these questions evaporate from the scene as to uh, how did this take place and how did that take place. That is, the God which establishes nature is above nature. The God which sets the forces of nature into effect is not then bound by those forces. He can so operate and bring them to fulfill his will. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, For in him we live and move and have our being. God not only created us, but in him we live, we get the force, and we move and we have our existence in him. God's power is also seen in restraining the evil nature of the devil. And I think that we're going to dwell a little bit on this this morning. Old Slewfoot's here, and I think he ought to have a word for him. Quite often we concentrate on preaching to those of you that are sinners here, and we have a lot of those <laughs> uh, to deal with. But for a few minutes we're going to deal just with the devil himself, because God has a word to him, and he's here today. Just as he attends all, he's very faithful to attend the assembly of the saints. Now, he's here today. Now, God's power and might is seen in his ability to restrain the very evil nature of the devil. Do you realize, beloved, that Satan would destroy you if he could? Do you realize that he which was released upon Job would do all of that and over again if he could? Do you realize that his main design is to destroy and to do away with God's creation and take it out of the hands of God so that he might receive honor and glory for it? Now, he is a mighty foe. He's a powerful foe. And if you would see what he did but to the patriarch Job, there you would be if Satan were permitted to do so. Satan would destroy you. He would destroy your home. He would destroy your family. He would destroy your job. He would destroy your health. This is what kind of a foe that we are facing. He would lead you into discouragement and loneliness. This is the type of foe that we deal with. But I have a word for him this morning, and that is this. It comes from God himself, that before Satan can do one thing, he must come before God and ask permission to do it. Now listen, let's go back to the book of Job. And I hope you're here this morning, because I've had a few bouts with you this past week. And I hope you're here today, because I have something to say to you. And I'm going to quote to you from God's own word in Job chapter 1 and verse 6. There was a time when you came before God, and we're going to read about you right now. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. What do you suppose he was trying to do? What do you suppose he's going about as a roaring lion for? Peter says, looking for whom he may devour. That's what he's looking for. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and hateth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and the substance is increased in the land. He said, I can't reach him because of what you've done. You've built a hedge about him. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, now listen carefully, Behold, all that he hath, that is, Job, is in thy power. Only upon himself put forth not thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. What did God say to this old fiend? He says, Job is yours. You can do anything you want to now, except you can't take his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And then we have the account of what took place in Job's life. The point is this. You boast in your power and in your might, which is great, and I will acknowledge that. But you have no power to lay one hand upon one hair of Job's head without obtaining permission from God. In other words, you're sort of limited. There's not much that you can do without God granting you a little freedom on your chain, because, brother, you are chained. And you'll go no further than what the all-powerful God will permit you to go. Now, that may say, you may have rejoiced when that preacher on radio this morning said that you were winning a lot of the battles. Now, wait just a minute. You never have won a battle. You may have thought that you won a battle, but the greatest battle that you thought you won of all was on the cross, and God turned that around into your utter defeat. You have no power but that which God gives you. Now, if that doesn't sit well with you, and if you think that you have to obtain permission just to speak unto Job and to afflict him, I would humble you even a little bit more. Not in my own power. Because I cannot overcome you, but I can humble you through the word of God. And I want to point out another thing that you've got to gain permission from God to do. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. There was an account given in this particular passage of scripture with the man who was possessed of demons. And he was known as the maniac of Gadara. And Jesus came in contact with him one day, and I want to read to you what you had to do. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou castest out... Suffer or permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently into a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Now listen here. 
old Slewfoot, that you're here this morning, you think that it's humbling that you have to go before God to gain permission to lay one hand of affliction upon His people. You've even got to go before God to indwell the body of a pig. That's pretty low, brother. You remember back there in the book of Genesis in which that God placed a curse upon you? He said that dust shall thy be, and on thy belly thou shalt go. Now, many have misunderstood that and thought that you were some type of a snake. But no, that wasn't what God put His curse upon you, that you're some type of a physical slinking snake. It means that you are cursed below all the cattle of the earth. You're one of the lowest things now in power. That you, before you can even inhabit the body of a pig, you've got to gain permission from Jesus Christ. May you swallow that. And may you go away. Because the Bible tells me to resist the devil and he shall flee from you. And by the power of God's authoritative word, we remind you, you're under a curse. You're under a curse. So that you think you shall afflict us. You shall destroy us. You shall do no more than what the all-wise, all-powerful God permits you to do. And if you don't like that, then you go on out and maybe Jesus will let you dwell in some sick pig out here somewhere and you'll have a place to dwell. Go on away from us this morning. We have the Word of God in which that we want to study about. Leave us alone. Leave the minds of God's people clear that we may be able to marvel at the power and majesty of God. Now, God's power is seen in His ability to use weak instruments and yet gain the victory. We go back into the Old Testament and we see the people of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho. And instead of using a battering ram to knock down those walls, we see them blow a ram's horn and the walls come tumbling down. Why did God do it that way? So that the children of Israel might not receive the glory from the power, but that God's glory might be exalted. To God be the glory. Great things He hath done. God uses weak instruments in order to reveal the power that is in Him. We read about the Midianite army, the huge army which was scattered out there across the hillside And they were described as being like grasshoppers. And yet, we see the army of Israel. And instead of God increasing that army, why we see God going to Gideon and He said, You cut them down. There's too many. There's too many. And you only take just a handful. And He gave the description of those who He wanted. And so Gideon and 300 brave, faithful individuals stood and routed the whole army of the Midianites. God uses weak instruments in order that His power might be revealed. There were 1,000 Philistines that were slain by the jawbone of an ass in the hand of Samson, one man. Why? In order that God's power might be seen in the act. Then you young people here this morning, you remember back in Bible school days, perhaps in your Sunday school classes, of little David and the giant Goliath, that here was a young lad against a great man full of energy and might and vigor. 
And yet God used that little lad and one little slingshot to bring down the mighty giant. Why? In order that the armies of Israel might have to say, oh, it was the Lord that did it and not in our own might. You see, God's jealous of his glory. God is jealous of his power. And he says, I will not share my glory with another. And it's one of the cardinal sins of our age when we would rob God of his glory and say we are the ones which did it. So God's power is seen in his ability to use weak instruments. God's power is seen in his ability to control the elements that are existing in the universe. We go back in the Bible and we see the three Hebrew children. We see them thrown into the fiery furnace. We see that the ones who threw them in there, that they, that the heat was so intense that they were killed when they went up to throw in the three uh, Hebrew children. But did that stop God? Was God the one who created the element of heat? Yes, he was. Is God limited by the element of the fire and the heat? No, he can so protect his own children that they can walk right in the midst of the fire. And he, the one who controls those elements, restrains the heat from devouring their own bodies. The power of God is seen in his ability to control the elements in nature. Let's go to the Red Sea. And let's see here a group of people, a great multitude of them, standing there and they can go no further. And the armies of Pharaoh are behind them. And we see them standing there and all of a sudden the sea opens and they walk forth on dry land. The same God which spoke and divided the waters from above and the waters below is the same God which controls the force of the waters now. You see, it doesn't bother me if God, if a river stops flowing. That doesn't uh, trouble me when I see that there must have been a God which set it flowing to begin with. Uh, you see, beloved, the miracles that are in the Bible will not give us any problem if we see God behind the miracles. But if we don't settle that first statement, in the beginning, God, we're going to have all types of problems when we come to the Bible and we see the seas dividing. We see the Jordan River flowing back the other direction. We see the people eating manna down from heaven and all sorts of supernatural events. If we leave God out of the picture, then we have nothing to attribute these events for. In Psalm chapter 106, and beginning in verses 8 through 11, I believe it is, Psalm 106 and verses 8 through 11, speaking of the event at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. I think I'll go back and read verse 7 to describe this group of people. A lot of people think, well, now he must have saved Israel because they were such a real outstanding group of people. Let me show you what kind of people they were. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for their sake. Is that right? No. He saved them for his name's sake. 
that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies, now listen, and there was not one of them left. Is God in control of the elements? The God which divided the waters in the Red Sea is the same God which safely led, now listen, each man, woman, boy, and girl, and the cattle and their animals across that sea, and not a one of them perished. But he's the same God which spoke, and not a one of the host of Pharaoh was left alive. Now, my friend, that's what kind of a God in whose hands we are. Not one Israelite died in the Red Sea, but not one Egyptian escaped the power of God in the Red Sea. And the God who's able to divide the sea, He's the one who's able to speak, as Jesus would say, and the winds would stand still. Our God is in control of the elements. His mighty power is seen there. God's power is seen in the control of the hearts of men. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Now here is the king's heart. This is not just a person like you and I. This is a mighty person which has much power, much authority, much ability in his character. But yet God says that king's heart is in my hand. And just as I am the one which forms the course of the rivers, I'm the one which is in control of the thoughts and intents of his heart. Now one king one day didn't believe that. And he thought that he would war against God. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. I'll turn now to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. And let's look at this most powerful God in how he taught Nebuchadnezzar this great truth. In Daniel, chapter 4, and verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of my kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? A note, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will." 
The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men. That is, he ceased to have the nature of a human being. You talk about his free will, he didn't even have the nature of a man anymore. God took his rationality away from him and gave him a nature like that of a beast. And he did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High." And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay or say unto him, What doest thou? And at the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and whose ways are judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Now, brother, that's an humbling experience. That for seven years, this man who said, look at Babylon, I build it with my ability for my namesake. And God took away the rationality of his mind and gave him the nature of a beast. His own physical body began to change, and he took upon himself like feathers and claws of a bird. And for seven years he ate, ate grass with the oxen. And then God restored his rationality to him. And I want you to notice how Nebuchadnezzar acted. He said, O God that liveth forever, I praise you and I extol thee, because you are the one true God who rules and reigns in the heavens, and you raise up kings and you take down kings. I'll give you the praise for who you are. Isn't it sad that we little puny creatures won't bow ourselves to see that it is the God which rules over all? that we are in His power and in His control, that we have to end up in such awful experiences because we will say, Lord, not Your will, but My will be done. As we see all of these things, then we're brought to close with this instruction. What can we learn from the fact that God is powerful all-powerful in the providence of human affairs. First, we can learn that this ought to humble us. It ought to humble us as it did Nebuchadnezzar. In the New Testament in Acts chapter 12 and verses 21 through 23, we have another king, Herod. And Herod, I guess, thought he was quite a fellow. 
he stood before his uh, group one day and he gave a speech. And I guess he thought he did pretty good. Anyway, his hearers did. They said, this is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of a God. And Herod liked that. He liked to have praise put upon him. And the Bible tells us in those verses right there that immediately God smote him with worms and he was eaten up and he died because he, quote, gave God not the glory. He did not give the God the glory for his ability to speak. Do you see that, beloved? Even I here today and you, where do we get the ability to speak from? It's from God. All things are of Him and through Him and to Him, and yet we think that we are independent creatures, that we can get along without our God. And because Herod would rob God of His glory, God says, all right, here, I'll call the worms into your body right now. That's humbling. That's humbling. Some would say, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get in a building... And I'll hire the most powerful guards, and I'll fix it so no one can get in, and then just let God try to do anything to me. (laughs) My friend, the same God that spoke is the same God that can send one little germ past all of those guards and implant it in a certain organ in your body, and take your very life. Who do you think you can get away from, from this type of a God? That humble us. If you're here without Jesus Christ, where do you think that you can, learn, can run? I, I appeal to your mind. Where can you run to get away from this God? He's a great God. He's a powerful God. All the forces of nature are at His disposal. And you would rise up and you would say, well, I have atomic bombs. Just let God try to conquer me. Who do you think created the atom? Who created it? Shall man, you read in the second psalm, that the kings of the earth imagine a vain thing. They think that they can throw off God and not be restrained by Him. It's an humbling thing when we see that God can take and we can walk out of this building today in rebellion against God and all God has to do is send one hornet and plant it in the right place and my friend will be having your funeral here in a few days. All he has to do is let a little crumb of bread stick right here and we'll be putting you beneath the earth in a few days. Do you not see the humbling thing that this should bring us down to see that our life is in Him and we move and have our being? But now in the last thing, we would not end with that. That's only to humble the rebellious. This great principle should be a great sense of encouragement to the discouraged. Are you discouraged today and maybe you've had some setback and you feel that, oh, there's just no hope. Satan's too strong. My friends have forsaken me and there's no hope for me. I have no strength in my body. It's leaving me. And there's just nothing left for me to do. Now, wait just a minute. 
I close with this passage of Scripture, which has been most precious to me. You listen carefully. You will not leave this earth. I don't care how sick you are. You will not be destroyed by any other force in this earth until at such time God is ready to call you on. I don't care how powerful a gun, how powerful a cancer, you will not leave until God calls you on. He's the one that controls all of these things. Now listen carefully. Psalm chapter 91. Maybe you want to remember this sometime. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence, that means disease, that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. And here's a verse of scripture I gave to my brother when he went to Vietnam. I gave him a little Bible that had a metal plate on it. I said, Ed, I'm going to claim this verse for you. And here it is. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. My friend, there is no force in this universe which is able to destroy you before God is fulfilled with His purpose in your life here. I don't care what pestilence it is, whether it walks in the night hours, and whether that you would say, Oh, I shall not come through the night nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand may fall over here and ten thousand over here, but until God is ready to call you on, there shall be no force raised up against you. Now that ought to give us some backbone and be able to not fear the wrath of men. To be able to say, I can face today. I can get through today. Because my God is going to take me through today. Whether it be sickness or trial or the death of a loved one or companion, my God is going to take me through today. That also means that even when the wicked would rise up, or even the wrath of men, and would turn against you, that will only serve to fulfill God's chastening or purposes in your life and in mine. You say, Pastor Gables, how do you know when you're supposed to go to a church, and how do you know when you're supposed to leave a church, and so forth? That isn't an easy task, decision to make. But I know this, God's the one that put me here, and God's the one that will take me away. And I know that if there's one little child 
rises up in this audience today and says, Pastor, you should go. If God does not stand by me, I cannot stand against that little child. But also know this. If every one of my hearers this morning rise up, say, Pastor, we're going to get rid of you. If God doesn't say so, you won't get rid of me. No, you won't. In other words, if tell God grants his time and he will do this, that is, I cannot stand against one little child, but I can stand against all the armies of the world because God's power is for me. And it's for you. It's for you. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. Has somebody taken your name down in the mud? Now, wait a minute. They can't hurt you. They can't hurt you. Because God will stand and vindicate that name. Someone mocked you and made fun of you. They did David. Shimei would mock David and David would say to one of his servants who was getting ready to go off and go over and cut off that old boy's head. David said, let him alone. Maybe God will bring good out of this. (laughs) No, all things shall work together for good because the all-powerful providential God is the one who but speaks and controls, and the winds and the heavens and the earth and the armies and the waters of the sea are all there at his disposal to carry out his all-wise purpose. Now, should that not enable you to throw back your shoulders a little bit? Should that not enable those old sagging knees which say, I just can't go on any longer, to get a little strength? Listen. You may live a hundred years if that's God's purpose. You may say, well, I'm just about ready. My strength's about all gone. Where does your strength come from? It comes from God. It comes from Him. And yet you may be strong and healthy here this morning and not have a single thing wrong with you and walk out of this building and fall over with a heart attack. You see? Our life is in God's hands. Let us not fear what man shall do unto us. How many mothers and dads, you're here this morning, you're saying, Oh, my children, I I don't know what's going to happen to No, you don't. Leave them in the hand of the Lord. Teach them the ways of the Lord, but yet they're beyond your, your control in a certain way. My mother had to take my brother and kiss him goodbye, and send him overseas there. She had no way of protecting him from the armies of the Vietnamese. But my friend, her God did. Her God did. And he was pleased to bring him home safely. God does that for you. He does it for me. May we see that our very lives are in his hand. And aren't you glad that he didn't reveal when he's going to call you and I on home? You know what we do? We sit around and mope all day long, wouldn't we? You see? He hadn't done this. So we go on and do 
what God has revealed in his word to do. Let us give him the glory for it this morning. Stand.